There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in New York. Now, this week, we're doing the show without the fellows, um, and we're actually saying goodbye to our first group of fellows. Um, Isaiah Smalls is beginning Columbia Journalism School this week here in New York. Uh, Mania Shabazz before she goes back to Grambling, is finishing up her vacation. And Donovan Dooley is headed back to North Carolina A&T. And so we say goodbye to the first group of fellows who are sensational, but we also want to welcome in a new class of fellows. I'd like to welcome Alana Bearfield from Xavier University in New Orleans, Janae Adams from Clark, Atlanta, Tiffany Hoy from Howard, Tucker Toole from Morehouse, Zachary Bragg from Hampton, and Isaiah George from my alma mater, Morgan. Welcome, everybody. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be speaking with Charlemagne God about his new book. And later, we'll share a snippet of the undefeated's new anthem, celebrating the resilience of black female athletes who face racism and world-class opponents. So let's get right to it. So if you enjoy hearing about hip-hop celebrity news, dating issues, and politics, you probably listen to The Breakfast Club podcast. Every morning from 6 a.m. Eastern, you can catch DJ Envy, who went to Hampton, Angela Yee, who came on our show at the end of last year, and Charlemagne the God. Who sold crack. <laughs> Here we go. Charlemagne is in our studio without the crack, by the way. Without the crack. Right. No, I, that was a long, 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 long time ago. Yeah, we'll get into that. Charlemagne is in the studio with us today, and he's discussing his new book, his second book, Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, a book about how he's reached his full potential despite wrestling with anxiety. Charlemagne, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, my brother. Yeah. How are you? Oh, man, I'm, I'm great. I'm so great. am I. I'm blessed, black, and highly favored. <laughs> you know, we were talking about um, with your book, but before just so impromptu, I was asking you, because this is your second book. Yes. This is your second book. Your first one was pretty fascinating. It seemed it was more autobiography. Just how difficult sort of was was the first one to write? And then given the whole thing that you're, you're, you're a celebrity, you're... I guess. You're like, yeah, so they say. Yeah, no, yeah, no. The, se- uh, the second one was, was easier to write, but it was also more difficult to write, and I'll tell you why. Like, the first one was a little bit harder to write because I just didn't know how to write a book. Mm. You know, salute to my guy, Chris Moreau. Chris Moreau is a, you know, world-renowned author. He's done everybody from Russell Simmons to LeBron James, high school coach. Like, he's written a lot of books. So, you know, what I would do is, you know, I tried to do the traditional thing where you sit down with a microphone and, he just asks you questions right. and you answer the questions and then he'll transcribe it. I just didn't like the way he was transcribing it. It didn't sound like me. So I just would start getting up on Saturday mornings and just mm. writing these stories. You know, because mm. my first book was simply, it was autobiographical, but it was a bunch of life lessons that I learned. And, um, you know, I love self-help books. I love, you know, Malcolm Gladwell. I yeah. love Don Miguel Ruiz. I love, you know, Robert Greene. I love Gary Zukov. But the thing with those people is they have these principles and these rules that they put in their books and they use historical references to back them up like i'm just not that smart so i just use historical references from my life to Mm. back up the principles in my first book but the second one was easier to write simply because i knew how to write Mm. you know and um chris moreau worked with me on this one too but you know i just i just knew how to structure things more in a book form but it was more difficult to write because you know i was being i was being more vulnerable i guess the first book is just me telling stories and i guess i'm just being transparent like I always do, living my truth, which is one of my principles. But for this second book, I think I was uh, telling people a lot of things about myself that they didn't necessarily know. Like, I don't think people knew that I dealt with anxiety, yeah. you know, uh, or, or even PTSD. 
When, when, when was that diagnosed? I mean, when, you know, because back, like in my day, we had all kinds of stuff that you never knew. You uh-huh. just, your parents would just say, boy, deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. go, to your, go to your room or something like that. How, how are you? Diag- I, I first got diagnosed 10 years ago. Um, you know, I was, I was riding in, in the car with my cousin Kente. We were headed to a comedy show. We was going to see my man Little Duval. And at the time, I had just got fired from, my, from radio for the fourth time. Mm-hmm. I was back home living with my mother at like 32 years old. You know, I had a two, three-year-old daughter at the mm-hmm. time. Um, my, my, my now wife had to go live back with her parents. We're mm-hmm. both from the same town in uh, South Carolina, Monk's Corner. So I was dealing with a lot, you know. And I remember riding in the car, man, and I was just stressed out and I just had this pain in my chest and I really thought I was about to have a heart attack. So like even so my, I even convinced myself that I felt numbness in my left arm. Mm-hmm. Like it was that serious. Mm-hmm. So I told my cousin pull over and you know we got some water and I remember just praying like man please don't let me have a heart attack. I'll go to the doctor tomorrow. Went to the doctor the next day. The doctor was like there's nothing wrong with your heart. Like you got a you got an athlete's heart. He mm-hmm. was like I was describing what happened and he was like sounds to me like you had an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. Like you had a, a, a well, he said a panic attack. Yeah, Do yeah, you yeah. suffer from anxiety? And I was like not that I know of. And he was like, well, you know, I mean, you good. Just, you know, he just, just, I, I forgot. I don't remember what he prescribed. I don't think he prescribed me anything or nothing. And I remember just driving home and thinking like, damn, an anxiety attack, a panic attack. I've, I've heard of those, but I never thought I, I had one. But then I started thinking about my life. I'm like, damn, I've been getting these my whole life and never, never really stopping to think about it. Cause you know, when you selling, crack and you run in the streets and you live in a certain lifestyle you think that that paranoia that sense of paranoia comes with it right right you think that fear comes with it you know that insecurity that you may feel you chalk it up to being young uh you know not feeling like you attractive enough or not having what the next person has you know what i'm saying but you don't realize like nah that's that's anxiety you know so that's when i first got diagnosed 10 years ago so so how how did you structure that to uh sustain a book I was just telling my story, you know, um, I, I told the story I just told you and then I told of other undiagnosed anxiety attacks that I had and panic attacks that I had when I was younger, um, you know, going to therapy over the past year because like really starting to deal with the anxiety because that's when you really start to realize you have anxiety when you actually are in a position of success, you know, when you're actually doing good in life, when everything should be should feel great. You know what I mean? You go home. I go home to my beautiful wife. I go home to my, my two daughters. I got another daughter mm-hmm. on the way. You know, uh, nice. my wife's due next month. Thank you. And it's, um, it's just like, I'm, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like your, your, your business is booming. You know, like your, 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 your employees are happy. Like everything is, everything is fine, but you still have those feelings of insecurity. You still have those feelings of fear. And I be having like irrational fears. Like I'll see something on the news. Like, you know, I remember in Austin, Texas when, they were packages were being delivered. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Packages yeah. were exploding. Yeah, people yeah. I'm that guy that'll see that on the news, and when the FedEx package comes out, it's like don't nobody touch nothing. <laughs> right. Nobody touch nothing. Right. Right. right? right. So it's just like yo, I had to go deal with that. I'm like, yo, right. why am I? Why am I? Why do I feel like this? Why am I pulling up at the light and a car pulls up beside, behind me, bumping music real loud, and automatically I'm looking in both mirrors to make sure ain't nobody jumping out the car to try to rob me or if the car mm. tries to pass me on the road I'm thinking the car about to shoot at me like why do I mm. feel that way that's that's PTSD but how much is that is just, I mean some of Dick Gregory said just cause you what do you say just cause you paranoid don't mean somebody ain't after you you know yeah I mean I don't know I've been attacked in front of the radio station a couple of times like you know and then you, you 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 couple that with growing up where I was always constantly in a fight are, are, are hiding in the woods from somebody because I thought that they wanted to fight me. Like, I was always trying to avoid that kind of stuff. Like, I grew up fighting a lot. So, you know, when you get older and you think you're a grown man in your 30s and you're on your way to work, but then this dude's outside still trying to jump you or you go across the street to the pharmacy to get some money at the ATM machine, broad daylight in Tribeca, and somebody still wants to fight you, you're going to have... You know PTSD. You gonna have angst. You gonna be anxious about just life. Right. You know. Like, I, I mean, I'm hearing you talk about this stuff. I was like, wow, this kind of sounds familiar. I mean, I can, <laughs> I'm like that. You know, when you're supposed to be, everything is great. Well, you, and you're, you're like, well, damn. How come? You know, everything is wonderful, mm-hmm. but yet you kind of sometimes look at this dark side. Well, you also a black man in America. Well, well that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I I, I got a chapter in the new book called Black Annoyed. <laughs> and you know, blackanoid is being black and paranoid in America. Right. So it's just a, it's just a sense of anxiety that comes with that. You know, like when you're driving, like you know, when, when you're when you're, and I can't speak for white people, but I don't think white people drive and have the same fears we do. Oh man, we had a guy on the show, man. 
uh, white guy came to the show, and we had our, we were talking about the same thing. But uh-huh. and you know, this guy, good guy, he was like, "Oh no, he said, hi, officer. Uh, what can I do?" You know what I mean, yeah. there's like absolutely no. No idea that some shit could go wrong. Yeah, you get pulled. If a white person gets pulled over, they probably thinking about, oh shoot, license and registration. Right. Officer, what's the problem, officer? Right. right. Black person gets pulled over. I don't even want to reach for my license and registration. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like hands on the steering wheel. My right. first concern is right. I don't want to get shot for right. no reason. Like right. that's my first concern. I don't think that they deal with that kind of stuff. You know, you you're saying therapy. Yes. And again, you know, I know part of my generation is like particular of black men. You don't do therapy. Mm-hmm. It's um, almost like it's almost like a weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if any group of people need therapy, it's, it's black, black people. people. I, mean, up. I mean, you know. So, so what was that like to actually, you know, start going to doing therapy? I started going to therapy because, um, you know, for for uh, the most of my life, especially now, I've always been the go to person, and you know, I always often wonder who does the go to guy or the go to girl go to. Yeah. When they yes. want somebody yeah. to talk to, you know, I, I love my wife. My wife is my best friend, but I don't even want to put a lot of the stress that I deal with on her. You know what I mean? I don't want to talk to her about my irrational fears. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just like I just was asking questions for a couple years about therapy. And I had the same reservations that you have, like going to therapy means something's wrong with you. Right. You right. know what I'm saying? Going to therapy means that, you know, you're, 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 you're soft. Like you don't know how to deal with your own right. problems. Right. You know, a lot of times in the black community, they tell us just to turn to God, give it to God, which right. I do. Right. I do that too. But guess what? When I was getting on my knees praying to God, I feel like God was telling me, take your ass to therapy as well. <laughs> right. You know? So that's what I did. Right. And, and, and that was, man, that's the best $150 I spend every week. You know, just unpacking a lot of the BS. Because I'm, I'm 40 now. So when I started going, I was 39. So it's just like, yo, I waited damn near 40 years to unpack all of this stuff. And there's so many things that I thought I had figured out that I didn't. I was just suppressing it. You know, I was just trying to minimize it within my mind and within myself. When the reality of the situation was, man, just because you ignore a problem doesn't mean doesn't make it go away. Right, yeah. If, if getting your business is a black therapist or white therapist? White therapist. I, I, I initially wanted a white woman therapist. And the reason I wanted a white, well, actually, I wanted an Asian woman therapist. And the reason I wanted an Asian woman therapist is because I didn't want anybody who shared my same, same experiences okay. or anybody who was familiar with the experiences that black men in America feel. Like, I wanted somebody that was just going to be super objective, like that just was just looking at my situation and hearing my situation and just coming up with an analysis based off what I told them. No preconceived notions, no judgments, no anything. Mm. But um I ended up just, you know, researching some people with my assistant researching people page and, you know, we found somebody who was like really close to my house, which is very important to me because I like to be very comfortable, like throwing my flip flops and, you know, sandals. I'm I'm in, in my sweatpants cause I'm a country boy at heart and, and you know, right go right to her. And she's not from my world at all. You know, she's a white woman. She's not from my world at all and and she doesn't have any biases from what I can see hmm. and like her 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 assessments are very fair and most of the time accurate and most of the time very simple so simple that it'll piss you off and one, make you wonder why I'm paying her $150 <laughs> an hour you know but she's a white woman yeah so was this uh, the title of the book uh huh was this is this a shout out absolutely the uh the, the book is the title it's a, it's a shout out to the song Shook Ones you know, um, Mob Deep made this song called Shook Ones, and Shook Ones played such a big role in my life because my, my man, his name is Jarrell Garnett, God bless the dead, uh, we used to call, we used to hang out at, you know, uh, Queensbridge. You yeah. know, and Queensbridge is the, is the home of, of, of Mob Deep. And um, that song, that song was one of those songs that, that made you feel like you couldn't be vulnerable. It made you feel like you couldn't be uh, the, 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 the P word. The slang term that people use for vagina, that word. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, in the hood, you can't be that. You can't be soft. And that's what the song Shook Ones was about. It was like, yo, you, you know, you're shook. Ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. You're either going to be all in or not. And you, you realize as you get older, I am a shook one. I've been scared my whole life. I've been shook my whole entire life. My whole life I've been fronting like I was hard. You know, I was fronting like I was invincible. I was fronting like I was tough. And the truth is, I was really shook. You know, a lot of things I did, I thought I did because I was fearless. Mm. But I realized a lot of things that I did, I did because I was actually scared. You know, and um, the subtitle to the book, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a salute to 
um, the Ghetto Boys with Mind Playing mm. Tricks on Me. Because if you ever heard that song, Mind Playing Tricks on Me, that whole mm. song is about anxiety. In fact, Scarface actually wrote the mm. forward to my new book. Oh, yeah, man. So, so, so Luther to Brad Jordan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started, actually, I started listening to you when you were Wendy Williams. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a morning thing. I'd take my daughter to school, and it was our, sort of our, our sort of father-daughter generational bonding thing. Okay. Because we'd be driving, we lived in Harlem, we'd drive, and we'd always listen uh, to. And, and it, was, always, it was in the afternoon, though. So he probably was picking yeah. her up from school. Yeah, whatever it was, it was yeah. like a, it was a, it was a, it was a thing because you know Wendy was, and then you, and it was. I was always very intrigued by, like, who is this guy, man, who comes up with Charlemagne and and his whole <laughs> persona, and now more than that, yeah, I've, I've, I, you know, I've kind of followed your career more. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, here you talk about about going deep and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and how you got from point A to how did you get from McKelvey to Charlemagne how, and, and I know you a lot of kids ask you this all the time but how did you get from point A in South Carolina to here how did you survive oh. you talk about you, you joke with serious about yeah. the crack and all that kind of stuff it's, it's actually almost a miracle that you're sitting here I give all praises due to God mm-hmm. you know um, all praises due to God but also you know you got to give yourself credit for making wise decisions you know what i'm saying like uh you know like i always say destiny is not a matter of chance it's a matter of choice and you know when i was in monk's corner south carolina my father would always tell me that if i don't change my lifestyle yeah. i'm gonna end up in jail dead or broke sitting under the tree yeah. and you know when, when when that stuff starts to really happen to you like when you start ending up in jail or you got friends that start to end up going to prison for four years five years or you see people around you actually getting killed or you know, family members that you used to look up to are really just sitting under the tree drunk doing nothing with their life. That's scary. So, you know, that's when you make the conscious decision to say, man, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to do this. When that, since everybody's going left, I'm going to go right. And, um, you know, that's, 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 that's what I did. At one point, your dad let you stay in jail, right? Yeah. The, fir- <laughs> uh, the first time I went to jail. He, he let me stay in there because I was getting in so much trouble in school. I had already got kicked out of two high schools. I got kicked out of Berkeley High School. And, um, you know, I, I never, I don't salute this woman enough, but her name is Sadie Brown. She was the assistant principal at Berkeley High School. And I remember I was up for an expulsion hearing that day, mm. and I wasn't going to go. I just was like, I'm not going. And when you don't go, you just automatically get kicked out. And she came to the classroom, pulled me out of that classroom, and made me go to that expulsion hearing and recommended to them that they don't expose me. They send me to uh, Stratford High School because that's where my mama taught at. And uh, my mom's an English teacher. She's been an English teacher in South Carolina for over 30 years. Mm. And um, I went to Stratford. And, you know, Stratford was cool for a while, but then what I was doing in the street started to catch up with me at school because I ended up, you know, being with my homeboys. And my big mouth kind of instigated a situation. And, like, one of my homeboys shot at somebody. Mm. And um, I ended up in jail, you know, for assault and battery with intent to kill. And they actually came to lock me up from Stratford High School. <laughs> so they came to get me from school. So, so your mom's an English teacher. What did your dad do? My dad was in the construction. My dad was a, a construction worker. So he used, to, he used to build houses. You know, that's his thing. Like, even now, that's what he does. He builds houses. Okay, so here you got your mom's an educator. Your dad, you know, professional, you know, work and all mm-hmm. that. And so it's not like your background was like, you know, didn't know my dad, didn't know about, you know, the whole blues song. You you know, they were like, educate, you know. Yeah. So, so you had to work really hard to say, I'm going to be, I'm going yeah. I'm I'm to work really hard to go the other way. Why? Well, Why? well, well I have to say it is in my genes a little bit because my father, you know, he definitely was, he definitely hustled. You know what I'm saying? He definitely <laughs> sold drugs at one point in time. He definitely used drugs at one point in time. I remember going to see him in rehab when I was younger. He definitely had his bouts with alcohol and cocaine, but he definitely was a father. Okay. You know, that he definitely was a father that kept his foot in my ass and was like, don't do as I do, do as I say. So you're right. I didn't have a reason to make any of the poor choices that I made. But I think sometimes, man, we underestimate peer pressure. You know, as much as kids are at home with their parents, most of the time, you know, when they go to school or they're just out in the street living their life, those are the things that shape them even more sometimes than the parents do. You know, and um, I I was just one of those people. I just got caught up in the streets because that's what everybody around me was doing. The crowd that I chose to run with at that time, that's what they were into. So if I was going to hang with them, then I just naturally was going to get involved into a lot of that BS, too. But you're right. I didn't I didn't have to do any of the things that I did. I my, my parents always provided for me, even though we did come from a poor and disenfranchised 
place, you know what I mean? And we weren't the richest people in the world, but, you know, my, I, I always had, I always had food in my stomach. You know, I, I grew up Jehovah Witness, oh, so, right. you know, right. we didn't get gifts at, at Christmas, but my father made sure we had that new Nintendo, so we didn't feel too, you know, too, right. too, too slighted, you know. Um, so, yeah, I didn't have to do what I had to do. I just was hanging with the wrong, wrong crowd and made poor choices. So, so your, your parents were, were you an active Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went. I used to go out in field service and all of that. I used to go out in field service. We used to go to the hall every Thursday night, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Tuesday was a uh, book study. Thursday was the theocratic ministry, and I think Sunday was Bible study. Don't don't quote me. I don't remember. I didn't know. Thir- Tuesday was an hour. Thursday was an hour and a half. And I used to be so mad because. Thursday night, all the good black shows used to come on TV. <laughs> right. You know, at one point right. you had the Cosby show in Different World, and then Fox started airing Martin and Living Single and New York right. Undercover. Right. So, you know, that was the right. days of the VCR. So you had right. to get those 120-minute tapes. Because right. right. if we leaving for the Kingdom Hall at 6.30, right. 6.45, I got to start the VCR then. <laughs> and they got to run until we get back after 9.30, right. you know? Right. So, yeah. So what do you think about that now? I mean, how how religious are you now relative to... Jehovah's Witness. I mean, how you do you still have Jehovah's Witness roots? And what I'm trying to lead to is that you're in an environment now uh-huh. where some people would argue is like the complete antithesis of God and religion and all that. But how, what, what, what's your religious? I'm, thing a, now? I'm a spiritual person. I don't consider myself a religious person because there's no religion that I'm actively practicing right now. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a very praying man. Um, I do love going to. You know, uh, churches. I love even going to mosques. I just love dynamic speakers. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, uh, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes, uh, Pastor Carl Lentz, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, uh, Reverend John Gray. I just like dynamic speakers that can uplift and inspire with their words. And, and you know, when you, Jehovah Witness, that, that never really leaves you. You know, like that's a foundation that, you know, that, 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 that's rooted in me. You know, I, um, I still read Awakes. I still read Watchtowers. You know, I still have a connection with other people you meet in the business that are Jehovah Witnesses. You'd be surprised. You I know. would be. I wonder who is some of Oh, man. Well, you know, everybody knows Venus and Serena, right? We, we know. Venus and Serena, Jehovah Witnesses? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know? Yeah. No, no, no. Wow. Yeah. In fact, if you listen to Serena, every time she, uh, won a big match, she says, I give thanks to Jehovah. Jehovah. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Tiffany Haddish is definitely a Jehovah Witness. You know what I'm saying? Me and her talk about it all the time. Um, I know, like Sherry Shepard. I just recently found out was Jehovah Witness. Cat Williams, the Wayans brothers. Like it's a lot of the, the Wayans brothers. There's a lot of people who had that Jehovah Witness upbringing. You know, and and I I, thought, I think it's a great religion. I think that Jehovah Witnesses are very disciplined. You know, um, I I I, I do holidays now because. My wife does holidays, you know. What's her religion? Oh, my, wife, my wife doesn't really have a particular religion either. You know, she goes to church with her. When we're home in South Carolina, she goes to home. She goes to church with her uh, her mother and father. I want to say that they're Baptists, mm. you know. But I mean, church is something that I want to start doing more of, just because I think it's a positive environment. You know, it's a positive place to be on Sunday morning. You know, sometimes you just need that that affirmation. I do a lot of bedside Baptist now, though. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you pull out that laptop, you know what I'm saying, and go check right. in on Bishop T.D. Jakes in the Potter House, you know. Right. We used to call it A.M. Baptist. A- oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I do a lot of that. But, yeah, I st- like Jehovah's Witness religion never leaves me. Just like Islam never leaves me. You know, my father was a Jehovah's Witness. He got this fellowship. He started studying Islam. He still studies Islam now. So he was the person that was giving me books like Message to the Black Man by Elijah Muhammad. He was making me watch Minister Farrakhan speeches, Malcolm X speeches. He gave me the autobiography of Malcolm X. Like, so that never leaves you either, you know? And that's, the, 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 like, those are just great men. I love great men, you know what I'm saying? I love men that, like Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, uh, Minister Farrakhan, like, to me, those are just, they're, they're just, they just represent great human beings. Who would you, if, so, if somebody said, we give you a wish, I'm kind of big in these guys' wish. Somebody says, all right, Charlemagne, you know, times run. I'm going to let you have dinner, dinner with five people. You go mm-hmm. back at any time, five people. Who would you have dinner with? If you, you could choose five people, you would just love to over dinner. Who 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 would those five people be? Um, Jesus, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Harriet Tubman, mm. And who would be the fifth person? The fifth person would probably be, um, it would probably be Don Miguel Ruiz. Don Miguel Ruiz, he's the author of the Four Agreements, the Fifth Agreement, you know, Mastery of Self. I just read a great book that he did called The Three Questions. 
So yeah, those five people. Mm-hmm. Those five people. Because I, I just feel like they're so transformative. You know, the things that they did were so transformative. You know, I mean, Jesus speaks for himself. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. speaks for himself. I think that the sleepers are people like Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Like, you know, a lot of times we give more credit to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's students than we do the teacher. You know, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, there's no, there's, Malcolm Little doesn't become Malcolm X without the teachings of the Honorable Elijah mm-hmm. Muhammad. Uh, Cassius Clay doesn't become Muhammad Ali without the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. You know, uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan doesn't become Louis Farrakhan without the teachings of, of Elijah Muhammad. And those are just the three most popular students. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people all across the country, all across the world that mm-hmm. were affected by this little small, soft-spoken man, you know? Right. So I don't think we, we don't give the Honorable Elijah Muhammad the credit that he deserves, you know, even when you, you even the way everybody's eating now, mm, right? You know, right? He he talked about that and how to eat to live decades, decades, decades ago, right? So it's just like he was just a very transformative person that doesn't get the credit and the respect that he deserves. Hopefully, you know, one day somebody does a documentary about him, and I'm the executive producer. Huh, that yeah. could happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that, a plan. That's that, a, that's something that, I want to see happen in the future. That could happen. Do you want to get? There's so many things I want to have, and I know you got to go. That, there's so many. It seems like there's so many directions in your life. In in ten years, if you're back here talking about ten years, what would you like this sort of bio to say that, that you've done? Well, I can tell you what it's going to say. It's okay. going to say, it's going to say uh, multimedia mogul. Mm-hmm. You know, from radio to, to television to film. You know, to books. You know, even even stage plays. Um, you know, I feel like. I love I love creating content. You know, mm-hmm. I love I love creating content because I love putting in I love putting people in positions of power. You know, I love mm-hmm. giving people opportunities. You know, I love creating television shows and thinking about who would be great to play this character. But I'm also big on messaging. So it's a lot of messaging that I want to get across in my TV shows, in my movies, in my books. Like nothing I'm doing is for any reason, you know, for no reason. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it for just entertainment because I want to entertain you and make you laugh. I want to entertain you, but I also want to educate you. You know, I want to inspire you. I want to uplift you. I want to empower you because, yo, you know what type of world we live in right now, man. Everybody loves celebrity. You know, culture is a lot of people's greatest currency. America puts too much stock in the celebrity. So I think that people who have so-called celebrity or or have these platforms we have to use these platforms to get the right messaging to people you know so that's what i want to do with 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 my platform you know uh we're going to take a quick break when we come back Charlemagne's going to talk about how he deals with adversity and bad publicity So, so what's your playbook for for controversy? Because in, in in your era, particularly, there's no margin for error. Mm-hmm. You say it, it's there, and and now almost with me too. Not once it's out there, you're guilty. Hundred percent. I mean, it's, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. So, how? Do, what's your playbook now? Again, you know, you're forty years old, and and you're now becoming sort of that elder, almost, almost, yeah. not quite yet, almost. So. Yeah, and you were dealing with something that you know, just about the the thing about your wife and you got how do you deal with controversy in this era, in the era of social media? Mm-hmm. What's your playbook now versus how you may have dealt with it a few years ago versus how you deal with it now? I'm gonna be honest, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very difficult simply because, you know, when you do grow, when you do evolve, when 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 you know mentally you're no longer in a certain space and you know, you have been putting in the, putting the work in to evolve. You know, like I know that in the past, a lot of my rhetoric has been problematic. You know, I know in the past, a lot of women look at me and say I'm misogynistic and chauvinistic. But to me, I, I literally thought about this before there was a Me Too movement. Like you can go listen to, you know, podcasts or radio shows where I was telling brothers like, yo, y'all, we're going to have to straighten up in a minute because, you know, like I, I, I thought Hillary was going to become president. And women were just right. going to be like, we're not taking this boat it no right. more. Right. You know, but she didn't become president. But actually something worse happened. You know, you had a, a symbol of everything that is wrong with men in America president. become president. <laughs> so that made them rise up even more, which right. is a good thing. I right. got two daughters and another daughter on the way. My mm. future is female. So anything that makes the world a better place for women, I'm all for. But it is very 
difficult when you're no longer in that space and, you know, you are thinking a different way, but people are using things from five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, and bringing them back up and trying to paint a narrative of you now. And it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not staying. I can't stand by that. That's, that's who I was. You know what I'm saying? I'm not that person anymore. That's why I always say this, this generation would never allow Malcolm Little to become Malcolm X because they'd still be talking. As soon as he came out there with that, that Quran and that nice suit and start talking about Allah, they'd be like, Man, shut up, man. You was just pimping. You know what I mean? You, you <laughs> right. ex convict. We ain't trying to hear right, from you. Right. So it is, right. it, it, it is difficult, but you know, I, I live, I, I, I navigate through it the same way I do with anything else. I know that everything that I'm experiencing is part of God's ultimate journey for me. And you know, I've never been afraid to make mistakes. I've never been afraid to hold myself accountable. I've never been afraid to admit when I was wrong. So it's just like, if you want to judge me for, for old things, I'm fine with that. Because I know that I'm not that person anymore. I know that my narrative has completely changed. You can't judge 20-year-old Charlemagne or 30-year-old Charlemagne, the 40-year-old Charlemagne who's a father and a husband and you know like you just can't. You know, I'm not I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not standing on that no more. So and then, and then, yeah, yeah, I mean like, I've got a daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and I always say most men are recovering sexes. I mean, just say I mean, it again, brother. Yeah, no, most men are recovering sex, mm-hmm. but I, it's just like with, I think most white people, not, not nearly, are recovering races. A hundred percent. But nobody that those are harsh words. But that's you know. But I think we spend a lot of time. I'm I'm not racist. I'm not, the, and so you always never really recover because you're always trying to not be that person. Yeah. But but I think and so you know you have three dollars, and I'm thinking, man, go back in time and talk karma and all this and all the stuff that. You know, you did and, and, and all that. And you're right. You're trying, you, you, you want to evolve, but people want to keep you in a box. Yes. You know, people want to keep you in that prison. Yes. How do you break out? I mean, how do you? Well, you can't be a prisoner of your past, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that, like I told, I said before, a lot of times ignoring a problem doesn't make it go away. I think it's a lot of things that I know that I've suppressed that I never truly dealt with that, that, that therapy actually helped me to deal with. Like I think about people that I may have indirectly or directly hurt you know mm-hmm. or, or via my actions in the past you know so i mean i can think about people I, I sold crack to you know i think about one one young woman in particular i used to sell crack to and she had a daughter and her daughter was like super smart like 1600 on the sat smart and she could have went to any school she wanted to on an academic scholarship and she ended up staying in south carolina just to be you know close to her mom and eventually you know coming home every weekend ended up her staying home all the time and not going back to school and i think to myself like damn indirectly we caused her not to realize her full potential because we were the ones serving her mom crack now mind you she could have got cracked from anywhere but i'm just telling you that's the those are the things that i think about now as i'm older and i'm because you know a lot of times it's like yo when you leave the hood you think okay you good you left the hood you made it but what about all the people you impacted while you was in the hood that's still there. That's why I'm so big on philanthropy. You know, yes, that's why okay. I'm so big and always giving back to my hood. You know, uh, that's why I'm so big on, you know, talking to just these kids in any community, in any hood USA, because we just owe it to the next generation to make sure that they're better than we are. You know, and that's the only way that you can kind of fix the mistakes of your past by paying it forward. Because I can't get in the DeLorean and go back to the future and change any <laughs> of those things. And guess what? I don't think it's meant for me to change any of those things. The reason it's not meant for me to change any of those things because everything that I, I, I wasn't made me everything I am now. I needed to go through those experiences. I needed to make those mistakes to be the evolved, refined person that I am now. So so um, let me ask you this. How, how do you put out fires that come up on the Breakfast Club? And do you think that you all get more attention for the controversies than you do for the good stuff that you do? You know, everybody always jumps on us when there's some controversy. When it's, when it's you know, me, they say I gaslit a Marilyn Negra about the Afro-Latino community. Or when Lil Duval came on and made his comments about the transgender community. Like, yes, you know, we did hurt people in those moments. Not intentionally, but we did. But we still strive to do a lot of good. Because, you know, just the week before... We had Janet Mock on the show, you know, when, when when people were telling us not to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like I, I, I think everybody should be heard. 
I think everybody's voice deserves to be heard. And I feel like the platform that the Breakfast Club has is a platform for for everybody, you know. So I, 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 I know that that's the world we live in. You don't get credit when you do good. You get more credit when, when it's something negative. People will whisper your success but, but scream out your failures, you know, as, as my homegirl Jazz Fly says. But that's just that's just the game. Well, you know, you know, the two things before we let you, I want to talk about Kaepernick and protest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've dealt in sports for most of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and athletes spend like 99% of the time watching game film, which is of the past, right? Mm-hmm. They're watching last week's practice, last week's game, like that. And they're not doing it just so they could tell how good it They're doing it so they could study how is all this stuff related to yeah, because they, they don't want to make the same mistakes in the right. future. So my question to you is that, okay, so you can't go back in the past. I mean, you sold what you did, you did. But how does, when you look at that game film, how does that relate to today? In other words, what it was you look at that, so we can't go back, but we have hellacious games today in Chicago, wherever. Yeah. We got a hellacious game today, but how do you now use all those mistakes if you had this big screen and show these young cats doing the same thing. No, no, no. no, no. See that? How do you now use all that stuff to as a corrective device so that we can win? I, st- I study all my game tape. That's a, actually a great analogy. That's what I would call my book, Black Privilege. That's what I would call my new book, Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me. That's what I would call you know, the Breakfast Club radio show when we're doing certain interviews or we're having certain conversations. I'm sharing certain stories and certain experiences of my life. That's why I'm not afraid to share experiences of my life because that is the game tape. And, you know, I was always taught smart people learn from their own mistakes, wise people learn from the mistakes of others. So I try to tell these young men, be wise. I'm showing you the BS that I did. I'm showing you the mistakes that I made because I don't want you to go down that path. I don't want you to make the mistakes I made. I want you to be better than me because if I hadn't made those mistakes, I'd have been a lot further along, mm. you know? So, yes, mm. my life is my game tape. But I'm showing other people my game tape. Because guess what? I can't go back to when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and correct mistakes that I made. But I can keep that 16, 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20, 21, 22-year-old now from making some of those same mistakes. So that's what I do. I use my game tape and let other people see them and say, look, this is what I did wrong. Now don't run this route. You run that. Go run that route. You know what I'm saying? You run that route, you're gonna score a touchdown. You run this route, you're gonna get tackled. You know, on the on the the one yard line, you ain't gonna score the touchdown. So go that route. I want to make it easier for the next generation. Right, because they'll say they'll say, well, yeah, but you did this. But look, you're you're Charlemagne. You're this. But what you're saying, yeah, and it's great. But I could have absolutely been here. Jay Z said, Hove did that. So hopefully, you won't have to go through that. Mm-hmm. I went through what I went through, so hopefully you don't have to go through it. And I'm still going through things now. Like even every time I'm about to get to another level, it's some type of difficulty. You know, the difficulty is just different now because it's played out in the public. You know, right. and and it's 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 weird. Like the weirdest thing for me in the world, and this is one reason. Like even my interview style has changed. My interview style has changed is because I have a lot more empathy for celebrities now and the reason I have a lot more empathy for celebrities is because when you on the come up I've been doing radio 20 years so when you on the come up and you on the outside looking in you think you know but you have no idea so you believe the rumors you believe the gossip you believe mm. the conspiracy theories you hear about certain artists like and so you bring that you to wanna them hear. you want to believe you want to believe it <laughs> right. so you bring that to them right. until you get in the position that I'm in now and you start seeing things about yourself online that are absolutely false, like like 399 million percent false. And the only person that really knows is false is you, people who were there, and God. Mm. And it's just like you got to pick and choose what you even respond to. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can't right. give energy to everything. Right. Like like some things you want to give energy to just because you're like, no, 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 no. That's that's too much like you that's right. you really trying to damage me right now damage my reputation whatever but some things you just like whatever and you just got to keep it moving like yeah I, I, I was looking at diddy's instagram page today and he posted a clip from denzel washington and denzel washington was like he just can't really be concerned about the opinions of other people because if he right. is he can't do his job yeah that's, that's like i was even doing the last thing with uh with with, with uh potus 45 mm-hmm. and lebron you know, and I guess in this in, in, in this era and in your business, engagement, there's a thin line between engagement and ratings. Yeah. Because you know if you engage this guy, you'll rate any project you're working on, 
is going to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. So you have to choose when to engage and, w- and when not to. Braun yeah, is yeah. only engaging Trump because Trump is the president. Right. If Donald Trump wasn't hadn't said anything, nobody would even ask LeBron about Trump. Right. It's the fact that Trump is the president. Because let's be clear, I don't care how much money Donald Trump got. I don't care what position of power he's in in America. He isn't he isn't half the man LeBron James is. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So LeBron know he's not dumb. Of you know, he right. know he's not dumb. So he, like I said, he wouldn't even be engaging with somebody like Trump if Trump wasn't the president. He probably wouldn't even say Trump's name if Trump right. wasn't the president of the United States of America. Right. So, so that, 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 but that also goes like you know, just that saying, um, when 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 you bark at the when a dog barks at the moon, it's nothing. <laughs> but boy, have we ever heard the moon barking back at the dog? <laughs> right. It would be news all over the damn place, that's you right. know. So it's just like right. that's. You just got to watch who you engage with now because a lot right, of everybody, right, 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 everybody's right. just trying to get a rise out of you. Everybody's just trying to get attention. Everybody want to get their followers up. They want to get their, their looks on Instagram. So, and, and they're really willing to do anything, anything. to do it, anything to do right. it. So it's just like you really got to pay attention to who you give your energy to nowadays. Right. Two last things. Um, tell us about uh, the gray area with Charlemagne that you're going to do with HBO. And then don't let me forget. I want to talk to you about being a Dallas Cowboys fan, and are you going to watch football? Gotcha. Uh, the gray area on HBO is um, it's a series of interview specials, you know, and it'll be me having conversations with people that I just respect, you know, even people that, that I may not respect or I may not agree with. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to create a safe space for unsafe people, you know. And but I, what I want to do is, like, say if I'm interviewing somebody like Colin Kaepernick, I want to take Colin Kaepernick to the field where he took a knee on him mm-hmm. and him and Eric Reed, you know, because I just feel like it's, it's, it's hard to not be vulnerable when you're in a place that serves such a pivotal moment in your life. You know, or you take a, you take, you take Tiffany Haddish back to the foster home that she grew up in, or you take Cardi B back to, to the script club that she used to dance in, you know, it's just like, it's hard to not be vulnerable in those, in those places that, that, that played major roles in your life. So, so that's what the gray area is. And I always say things aren't always black and white. The truth usually, usually is within that gray area. You know, so that's, that's, that's what I'm doing mm. with the show. That's great. Yeah. And then secondly, you're a big NFL fan, sports mm-hmm. fan. Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys all day. Dallas Cowboys fan all day. Most yeah. racist, uh, franchise in the NFL probably, but. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was, that's a tough sell now, man. That's, that's like the true plantation now. True your plantation. boy, your, your guy has told, yeah. has told these brothers. Yeah. Boy, everything but boy. Yeah. So, so. They're the cowboys, for real. You know what I mean? <laughs> Every black person in that locker room is a cowboy. Boy. But your boy, I, I'm not put. Are you, are you watching it? You still support me? Let's, let's, let's dissect it. Did you see the, did you see the mural that, um, did you see the mural that they made that's like of the get out? Trey Wilder. Oh. Trey Wilder had the, uh, the picture of Dak Prescott crying the tears from get out. He made that, he put that on a, a wall in Dallas. He actually did that because he said he was inspired by a segment that I do on my show called Donkey of the Day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when yeah. I gave Dak Prescott Donkey of the Day for making those comments, I had the teacup playing. So Trey said he was inspired by that. So salute to Trey. But um, I'm not watching football this year. No. I can't in good conscience watch football knowing that they don't give a damn about the rights of black and brown people outside of the black and brown people that are wearing those damn jerseys and the helmets. And to be honest with you, I don't think they give a damn about them. Because if you watch the NFL, man, the NFL has no problem when people are standing up for things like breast cancer or right. domestic violence or, you know, even LGBT rights. Because I think this year they're introducing the the male cheerleaders. Not saying all of them are going to be, you know, members of the LGBT community, but I can see the play. You know what I mean? Mm. And Right. I just think that's wrong. You know what I mean? Like you don't like wh- what did he? What what did Colin Kaepernick do wrong? Nothing. Right. He's actually getting punished for doing the right thing. He's getting the pun. He's getting punished for actually being American. They're saying he's being un-American because they're saying he's dif- disrespecting military vets, but that's not the case. He actually talked to a military vet and asked the military vet what's the proper way to protest. The military vet recommended recommended to him kneeling during the anthem. Right. If you care about black and brown people and the injustice that black and brown people are experiencing at the hands of the police how could you be upset over what Colin Kaepernick is doing I tell people all the time man if you was walking down the street and you saw an American flag on fire or Colin Kaep- and Colin Kaepernick on fire or just a black person in general on fire and you had a fire extinguisher and you could only out one 
If you even got to think about that, <laughs> right. you're not even a human being. Right. You're not, nonetheless, an American, you're not even a decent human being. Mm. If you even got to think about which one you would out first. So it's just like I, I, I can't in good conscience watch the NFL this year. It's not even about Colin Kaepernick not, not having a job in the NFL because I just think that what Colin Kaepernick is doing is way bigger than football anyway. And I think his legacy is going to be way bigger than football. It's just the fact that you're, like, you're not even giving people a choice. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it shouldn't even matter if they want to kneel because of the injustice that black and brown people are experiencing at the hands of the police. Like, like don't bring the flag. Don't got nothing to do with this. The military don't got nothing to do with this. And you know this. Everybody is screaming this right. to you at the top of your lungs. Right. And you're like, nah, nah. So if you don't care about black and brown people, then I can't care about your sport. How, are you going to use your, you know, you got a podium mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 during the season, mm-hmm. to change the narrative, to talk about this, or uh, you know, I, I, you don't have X amount of time. But I'm not, um, I'm not calling for a boycott. You know, the reason I'm not calling for a boycott is simply because there is a lot of brothers who play in the NFL who are good brothers. You know what I'm saying? Who use that money to give back to their communities? Who you know will still find ways to protest? You know, who who don't agree with what the NFL is doing? So I'm not calling for a boycott because you know I'm not trying to stop another brothers livelihood but i'm just simply telling you i can't in good conscience watch until some real changes happen in the nfl you know and i think one of those real changes that need to happen is you can't take away players constitutional rights to protest number one and you know what they what that 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 kneeling ruling that they implemented is definitely against the, the cba it's definitely against the collective bargaining agreement like you didn't even you, y'all didn't even talk to players about that well the guy that, that needs to be is another show. The guy who really is, is the Players Association, yeah. Morris Smith. To me, that's the, he's the culprit in this whole thing because if you are the head of the players and your players are being attacked, yes, you, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? You know, I just don't. I, I really just don't understand how people can, you know, ignore the blatant hypocrisy of allowing players to protest anything else they want. As soon as you protest. You know, because of the injustice that's happening to black and brown people, it's a problem. I got, I got, I got, I got an issue with that. Like that's just blatant hypocrisy to me. So I, I just can't, in good conscience, watch the NFL this year. I just can't do it. And guess what? This will be the year my goddamn Cowboys win the Super Bowl. That's right. We're going. Like, we're going tomorrow. <laughs> me and Jamal are going tomorrow. <laughs> this will be the year my Cowboys win the Super that's Bowl. That's right. And I, I said somebody check in on Charlemagne. We gonna have. We gotta like monitors. What do you call the thing you put on your on your, your ankle? No, you, you, you know what it monitor. is. You know how you know you know when somebody's on a diet, you just let them smell the food. You know what I mean? Just, just, gonna pipe. just text me and let me know what's going on. Right. Are you are you mean, you mean to tell me the first the first Cowboys Eagles game? Lord have and, and the Eagles they're both like undefeated. You gonna be what? You, I can't do come it, on. man. I can't in good in good conscience. I just can't do it, man. And Colin is actually like a friend of mine. You know okay. what I'm saying? Like he's, a, he's he's somebody that I I talk to. You know what I'm saying? Like we 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 eat together. Like mm. that's, I, that's a friend, and he's mm. a really good person, man. He's a really good human being. I don't like to see good things happen. I mean, bad things happen to good people because all he literally did was take a stand. For what's right, like, yeah. what, like, what, what did he do wrong? Like, I'm just trying to figure out what did Colin Kaepernick do wrong when EA Sports bleeped his name out of the video game like it was a curse word. Yeah, well, you know what he did. I mean, you know what he did. He stood up for black and brown yeah, people. You know what he did. I mean, you know, LeBron James calls the president a bum. Yeah, and played the NBA Finals and continued to play. Yeah, this guy didn't say anything to anybody. And I've asked people, why do you think that is? Now, one guy could call the president a bum. And plays in the finals. Yeah. Another guy doesn't say anything, mm-hmm. just kneels, and will never work again probably. Well, different culture in the NBA, not to mention LeBron James is the NBA. Right. So you're not going to get rid of LeBron James. Right. You know, but I, I, I will say this. I'm happy Colin Kaepernick just got blackballed because there used to be a time in this country when you stood up for the poor and disenfranchised, when you stood up for black and brown people, they'd kill you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. Yeah. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X., if you ask me, John F. Kennedy, right. you know, because John mm-hmm. F. Kennedy implemented the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Hell, even Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln may may not have, you know, implemented the Emancipation Proclamation because he was having some type of 
moral, you know, whatever the reason was. Revelation. They still blew his brain out. <laughs> That's right. You know what I'm saying? Any, anytime you make a stand right. for black and brown people in this country, for the poor and disenfranchised in this country, they, they get you up out of here in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> so thank God the brother Colin is still here. That's right. You know? That's right. Hey, my guest has been the great Charlemagne to God. Yes, sir. Uh, co host the Breakfast Club. Uh, star stage, soon to be screen. Yeah. Uh, as behind maybe, the scenes, though. I don't want to be on behind the scenes. Right, well, that's where the power is. Yeah, yeah. Power yeah. control. His new book is Shook One. Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me. It'll be out October 23rd. You can pre order now wherever you buy books. You can go to uh, cthabook.com, C-T-H-A, book.com. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you buy books. You can pre order now. I come out the same day as Kobe, by the way. Oh, oh. Yeah, Kobe booked the Mamba mentality. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's which I shouldn't be promoting because it's competition, but it's really not. It's the all good. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all yeah. good. It's all <laughs> good. good. And don't sleep on your first book. Black, Black Privilege. Black Opportunity, Opportunity, Opportunity comes, comes to those who create it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. New hey, York Times me. bestseller. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Rashad, well, thank you so much, man. Thank you for having great. me, we got, man. We got to do part two. I'm with it. This is part two. This is great. Thank you, brother. All right, thank you so We're going to close our show with a new single called Undefeated by artist Rihanna J. You can find the full song on Apple Music, iTunes, and Spotify. It's part of a project between The Undefeated and Morgan State University that examines the hardships faced by black female athletes. The song celebrates their resilience. Fall ones get up twice, keep my head up high, make the sacrifice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I won't minimize, you won't dim my light. I'm gonna win this fight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not good, you say I'm too bold. I'm coming on strong, you say I'm too this, you say I'm too that. Well, that's too bad, cause it ain't a secret. That's how we treat it, but I still believe it. I'm undefeated. We've been doing this forever. This ain't nothing new. Being good at being better. Always had something to prove. Breaking records, that's what we do. Touching all the untouchables. Can't lose. That's what we won't do. That's all the time we have for today. This show was produced by. Aaron Mathewson, special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcast, as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bimani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.